of the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by Chris Roth and Mark Douglas. And it is the final podcast uh, of, the, of the season. Obviously, next week we'll probably do a, a big wrap-up. This is the final one with the Chelsea game on Sunday. And just before we dive into last night's defeated Spurs, which was a very spirited performance, we're just going to have a little listen to uh, Chris Roth at the uh, game pre-match. If you haven't seen this, head to our Facebook because it is, well, it's worth a watch. More encouraging in terms of, you know, whether they'll they'll sort of get back into top gear. Watch out. Last time was just caught live on camera. So <laughs> that's as how you've been framed, anyway. <laughs> that, that is exactly the same. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to go that three one Spurs. Unfortunately, yes, uh, I'm going to go and try and dry off before the game. <laughs> Make sure you follow everything on Chronicle Live uh, this uh, evening. Won't, won't be as entertaining as that. It will not be, but hopefully Newcastle will get the win. And there you have it. That is Chris getting soaked by a sprinkler at Wembley. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I mean, if you analyse your movement, you're a little bit slow. Stu Reina moves like Evelyn down the flank quite fast. He leaves you hanging quite a bit. He does, yeah. I mean, the first time I realised that I was going to get soaked was actually because it was a steward you can't see on the camera who just suddenly points. And then I noticed it. And then it was quite difficult continuing videoing because Ian Buis, who was standing behind the camera, was chuckling away. And uh, so it was quite hard to stay composed-ish, I suppose. Um, and yeah, Stu Reina didn't seem that bothered about me getting soaked. But... Uh, Yes, it was uh, the perils, I suppose, of, of broadcasting live by the pitch. And then we got kicked off the pitch because we weren't meant to be there straight after that. They only seemed to know us we were there once they got soaked. So. <laughs> I mean, you guys finished, I think you both said, no, join us for the, for the full match coverage. It won't be as exciting as what's just happened. But Newcastle put up a brilliant performance and it was actually quite a good you know, final away day uh, turnout by Newcastle. Yeah, I was just speaking to a few guys in the office to ask them what the game was like, being at Wembley and whatnot. And I've said it, it was strange to be perfectly honest to be at Wembley for a Premier League game rather than a cup final it's not the way that Newcastle really wanted to have been there for the first time the new Wembley it's more than 11 years old now basically just happens to coincide with the Meg Ashley era surprisingly enough and they haven't been there even for a semi-final never made a final um, but in terms of the game itself I wasn't overly optimistic going into it but for large parts particularly the first half Newcastle were excellent 14 shots to Spurs is 11 away from home is impressive in itself and they weren't just pot shots from distance and those were very good opportunities Gail had two very good ones Shelby hit the outside the post Lascelles forces a very good save Murphy could have done better in the second half when he got himself in a really good position and fired over and, and Newcastle really did stretch Spurs and, and put them under pressure and it's just frustrating that they lacked that killer instinct in front of goal but in terms of compared to the first half at Watford the first half at Wembley was just so a few people on social media marks saying you wouldn't have known which one was going for Champions League qualification and which one was effectively, you know, survived with the Championship squad. Yeah, I think it's always a funny situation at the end of the season. I think you always get some strange results. Chelsea uh, and Huddersfield drawing, Man City drawing with Huddersfield, which you know wouldn't that wouldn't happen in October? I think it's fair to say. Um, but uh, but you know, I think I think Newcastle have shown over the course of the season they've not really been battered by anybody um, really I can't I think Manchester United away is the only one I can think of Manchester probably Liverpool and Manchester City away the, the golfing class was there but I don't think I mean they've had I think somebody was telling me double figures now of 1-0 defeats yeah well each of the last four games have all lost by one goal margin yeah so they've been they've been in pretty much every game they've played and, and I always felt like Wembley might be to their advantage because they, they did quite well against West Ham when the game's quite big and they can stretch the space and utilise the space of a pitch. They seem to play quite well and they seem to do that pretty well. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's nice to end on a bit of a, a high note because I think after the first 45 minutes against Newcastle, it felt like they were letting them, against Watford, sorry, it felt like they were letting themselves down. But um, I think they'll, you know, they'll probably maintain that level against Chelsea. They might not win, but it's definitely a good a good thing that they're not sort of letting it go out with a bit of a whimper. You know, not a lot to play for on Sunday. But you know, I think you saw last night as well that it improves the mood. I think of everybody if they're on, uh, if, they're, if they're playing well and at least being competitive in these kind of games. Just to look back at the Watford game, because obviously we didn't do a podcast after it, it. I can't stress enough for anyone who wasn't at the game how bad Newcastle were for the first forty-five minutes. There, it is up there with the single worst forty-five minutes of football I've seen a Premier League football team put out. Just because they couldn't pass a ball five yards, you could see the players' heads just weren't in it. Contrast in the second half and they're far better but then for what they produced at Wembley it just seemed like it was a completely different team and we know that that's what they're capable of and clearly the heads weren't there for whatever reason the first 45 minutes of Vicarage Road but when this team does have their minds in it and clearly the fact that they're already safe had affected them and, and subconsciously they let go but Spurs and at Wembley they took it on as a challenge and they really did give it a very very good goal Could it be a case that the players who came against Watford on, on essentially up to, up to scratch because if you look at what he did against Spurs his options are limited and it, it, it's a big you know warning sign for the summer isn't it because he hasn't got the depth that he needs he hasn't got the depth he needs but actually I, w- I would counter that point just because Jacob Murphy struggled badly at Watford there's no doubt about that but Javier Manquillo defensively first half was awful but second half when Newcastle played the wing backs which were essentially extra wingers Manquillo was the one who looked like he was going to create something he created Perez's goal the, the own goal that nearly came was because of his cross and he looked very good until he'd been taken off so they only made two changes for Wednesday it was more a mental shift than anything else and the fact that I think sometimes when the onus isn't on Newcastle when they're not expected to necessarily do something that's when they can be at their best but he has had a game plan against Spurs he realised that if you isolated the wing backs who were going to go forward if you got people going in behind them drag the centre backs out of position then you could really get out at them. And Newcastle did it over and over again. Perez and Gale and Yedlin kept going wide. Strangely, Kennedy didn't really get into too many advanced positions. It was a strange game again for him. He was quite quiet for large spells, but Perez was, was excellent and Diarmid was working so hard in midfield and Shelby pulling the strings. And I think it was more of a mental shift than anything else, but the, the quad depth is, is definitely an issue we need sorted. You mentioned Perez there. His run of form, of, you know, grabbing the goals, I think Newcastle's top scorer now, has been essential, given the fact that Dwight Gale just can't seem to buy a goal. I mean, you know, a couple of chances last night, Mark. We've been seeing this. It's the same story all, all season, really. You know, Dwight Gale can't fault his work ethic, can't fault, you know, his commitment to the team. But as an as a out-and-out primary goal scorer, it's, just, it's not looking likely that he's going to prove himself. Yeah, it's a real shame as well, because I think, you know, he probably would have felt at the end of last season that he'd earned a chance to go back to the Premier League and prove a few people wrong. As it's worked out, it's probably proved the people who said he wasn't quite at Premier League level right. I I don't necessarily even think it's, it's a talent thing. I think they need something a bit different from what Gale is offering them. Newcastle... What's going to happen, I think, if, if it all works out as it should, is that Newcastle will probably bring in a, a better quality of striker, will play a different way with the better quality of striker. The fact is, I think that Rafa Benitez knows that you know Dwight Gale isn't the strongest Premier League striker, so he's playing a way that probably doesn't help Gale, whereas last season, obviously, they played a different way. I, I mean, 
Gail is, you know, it's interesting that the Stoke, the guys, our sister paper Stokes, the Sentinel, said that they Stoke are really keen to get Dwight Gale in to fire them back to the Championship. He might end up being that kind of player who just can score goals in the Championship, can score 20, 15, 20 goals in the Championship, but just can't take the next step. And there's plenty of them there. I, you know, his race is probably run a little bit in Newcastle now. That sounds terrible, but it is. I think it is the case. Like you said, he's missed a fair few chances this season. I think he's a good lad. I think his work ethic's good. I think he's kept his. I think he's done what Rafa's asked of him. But you know, they need to. You need to take chances. You need to take chances. You need to be in the right places and, and, and finish off those chances. I just don't think that Gale is at the Premier League level where you need to have a little bit. You need to be a little bit quicker. You need to have a little bit more ingenuity. I don't think he's at that level. Perez, who's got had a lot of criticism, I think he has a little bit extra to his game because he's got that technique that maybe Gale doesn't have. I mean, you know, some of the, some of Perez's goals recently have been really good goals. Clever as well as runs he makes, Perez. Yeah. He stretches defences. He, he offers something very different, as Mark says, that ingenuity. I, I think in terms of striker-wise, from what I've been told over the last 8 to 12 months, what Rafa really ideally would like he'd like two strikers but one of them he certainly wants a bit more of a physical presence up front Slomani may have been option Z in January but option A was was Jorgensen who also is, is a big powerful forward he wants someone not a target man so to speak but almost a focal point up front I don't think he's necessarily had that and he'd like to build around that and then he wants a B option of maybe that be a quicker man or, or whatever. So I think that, that some of the strikers Newcastle will look at this summer will be the Organson type, a bit a bit bigger, bit bit more physical. Yeah, so we'll, we'll hold a kind of transfer special in the next few weeks. But however, I'm just going to say that it's going to be a very interesting start of transfer because of, you say, Stoke come in with a bid of 15, 20 million pounds, Fulham do the same at Mitovic. And Newcastle then, gonna, do you think Newcastle accept them two bids and then wait to see? If they're moving the market, because yeah. given Newcastle's history, it's it's not exactly done early, is it? I think what I think the main thing at the moment is that Rafa needs to know exactly where he is now. Those talks, I think, are have been a little bit frustrating for Rafa so far, judging by um, what we're hearing. I don't think he's being told exactly what he wants to hear at this point. I think he's still. I think he really needs to get around the table with Mike Ashley to, to thrash those out. But at, the point, at this point, that's, there's no suggestion that's going to happen. And it means that Rafa's really left to kind of debate whether it's worth whether it's worth taking what Lee Charney's saying and, and running with that. I don't think people I don't think twenty million pound bids are going to be coming in for those players too early in the window because I think they'll know that Newcastle will Newcastle Rafa Benitez won't accept those bids straight away until he really knows where he stands, because he that was exactly what he did last summer. He's he's kind of cautious by by nature. I don't think they'll sell both of those players until he knows exactly where he stands, until he knows that he can go and get the player that he needs. Um, but I think if Newcastle start next season with Mitrovic, Gale, um, let's think who else he'd probably sell, there's a few others he'd probably look to sell. Um, if they start the season with those, Rafa Benitez won't be here because he's just not prepared. I don't think he's going to be prepared to spend another close season looking for a Jossily version two. He's just not going to do that. Two players who, if, st- if, if Mitrovic and Mbemba are here at the start of next season, then you know things haven't gone yeah. according to plan for Rafa Benitez once. And lots of noise has been made recently, obviously, Rafa kind of says in the press comments, there is no news, it, it is where it is. Well, obviously, we hear kind of different things behind yeah. the scenes. Should we be worried? I don't think it's something to, to necessarily, I wouldn't be panicking, certainly, but I think part of the frustration 
from the talk so far is that my understanding of it seems to be that Benitez's representatives are making clear what he needs and that they're not quite sure because Mike Ashley isn't there no matter what anyone else says they're just not quite mm. sure it's going to be delivered upon and that is the problem that at the club Mike Ashley wants to be this ha- have this hands-off approach yet nothing as we've mm. said many times before nothing big happens until he's there and he gives it the say so so I think that the inevitable conclusion will have to be either a conference call or Mike Ashley physically come and sit in front of Rafa Benitez and they ha- they thrash us out properly I know we had this last summer but Benitez isn't he was, he was arguably fooled once then it's not going to happen again it's clarity that he needs that, I mean the, the, the problem is that people I think read it as Rafa wants to know how much money he's got he wants to know what the budget is he wants to know you know how much am I going to get the, our understanding of it is that he wants clarity so if the situation is that he has to go to Mike Ashley every time he spends over 12 million pounds he just wants to know that that's the situation because he says I'm a manager you have to let me manage so basically if his transfer budget is 30 million pounds it's not necessarily that he's going to walk out at that point but he's going to say right well if I want to spend 20 million pounds on a striker and that's the only player that I sign back me on that and I will and blame me if it goes wrong don't give me what happened last summer which is that I gave you um, this is I gave you um, Caballero Abraham and Sandra Ramirez and all these other players and it was like you know well Rafa wait wait I need to go and speak to Mike Ashley before we do this deal and it delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and that is what he's seeking he's seeking clarification on what is the power what is the power structure at Newcastle United that I have to operate in if if I'm told I'm the manager and my decision is final and I want to spend 20 million pounds on a 32 year old striker um, and that is my decision back me in that decision or tell me that's we, we don't do that we're not we're not that kind of club and then he can make a decision on whether actually that's what he whether that's the structure that he wants to work in but his frustration I think has come because he's he feels that he has a business plan he's presented this business plan to Newcastle time and time again maybe twice now um, and they know what he does they know what he's about they know that he he is not asking for the world in terms of transfer funds He's just asking for a realistic transfer budget and the ability to be able to make his decisions. And then, and, and so then, on the top of that, so that's the, that's the immediate thing. But if he's going to commit his future five, six years contract, which I think Newcastle would like to ideally tie him down to a long-term contract, then it gets bigger than that and he wants reassurances over the academy, he wants reassurances over the training ground, and he wants reassurances that the club will back him on things like contracts for players who, who move forward. But if they're... If, if they basically say, look, we can't give you those insurances, but we can give you the assurances that this is how transfers will work this summer, he might say, well, I'll sign, an, I'll sign another year extension, I'll sign another two-year extension. Although there is the possibility that Mike, that Rafa Benitez will sign, will stay with the contract he's got, I think he accepts that that is not the best situation because if you're asking players to come in and sign a four-year contract to come and work with me, Rafa Benitez, and there's going to be uncertainty until the end of the season about where he is, he knows that that's not an ideal situation. So that's why he wants clarity now, and that's what he wants to know. He, he's not asking, I don't think, for a £100 million. Pass. I think he wants a competitive transfer budget, and he wants to be able to feel like, look, I can bring in three or four players who can maybe make us competitive. Dubravka, Kennedy, and maybe two or three others with sales, so if Gale and Mitrovic go, that might raise £30 million. And he maybe wants to say, do you know what, I want to spend all of that on one player and it might be a 28-year-old who has no sell-on value 
Um, but his argument in that is, okay, you look at it and say, he's got no selling value, that 28-year-old. But Rafa is like, but he takes us to another level, improves all the players around it so we can maybe sell on that player or this player, and also improves the standing of the club because we're now a top eight team, we've got a cup run. That's his point is, think about it from a football perspective rather than a simple um, money-making account. Because he's saying, look, previously you've done it this way where you've only signed players who will have a bigger sell-on value. He said, but it, and it's worked in terms of those players' um, values have gone up, but the club itself has, has not benefited. And he's saying, that's why it doesn't work that way. And that's why I'm telling you now that we need to go another way. So that's really, I think, I hope people understand that, that that's pretty well sourced really is what he wants and I mean when Mark talks about the training ground and the you know, 23s and things like that on Tuesday I sat waiting for Rafa but he just did several different parts of his press conference and I sat and waited you get, you'll get a five minute one on one with him if, if you're waiting for the, for the chronicle and then because Lee's been off I was doing that bit and you, you sit in the indoor barn as it is there and it, because it was a hot day I was literally this isn't very pleasant for anyone listening but I was literally sweating and my Rafa came in he was actually asking, asking if I was okay because <laughs> sweat. but you, the players can't train in that during the summer but during the winter it's freezing cold and he wants the ability for, for that to be sorted so that they have proper airflow in there and that you can manage the temperatures but then you look at, you look at the under 23s and, and the fact that no players come through academy wise he, he looks at his current squad and he, he gave the comment last week about he liked two or three players to be able to augment the squad from his under-23s uh, under eventually coming up. But the academy, they the under-23s have so many players but none of them are ever going to make it in the first team, or very few. And then you look at the academy itself and in an ideal world, Benitez would like one or two every year coming and pushing the first team. Newcastle simply don't have that. If you manage, if you put five, ten million or whatever is in the academy and then you have a steady flow of players coming through... A, you don't have to spend money bringing those players through in the end because every now and again you might get an exceptional player or if not, players to aid the squad. And then anyone who isn't quite at your level, you can sell the Championship, League 1, League 2, even Northern League teams, you might get a little bit of money back from them and it's self-investment. And at the moment, Newcastle simply don't have that. The, the academy, there's no it, it, it almost isn't fit for purpose at the moment because it just doesn't produce players. And Benitez just thinks all of this needs restructured and if you want me to stay here long term, and you really have a, a proper business plan, the academy is a focal point of that. Do we think like Ashley's picked it before and wished him congratulations on that? Yeah, he has, yeah, they spoke, I think it was very briefly, I, I don't know if it was text messages or actually by uh, over the phone, but the high, he has wished the squad and Benitez congratulations once they reached 40 points, yeah. I, I think the reason, I know your next question, Andrew, is going to be why won't you just give him what he wants? Um, and I think probably there's two reasons for that. One, I think Mike Ashley is sceptical about giving power to managers because he feels that, look, I've given power to managers before. Um, you know, I think he would say probably, or I've given power to the football side of things before and it hasn't worked. He's also worried that Rafa might, I think he'd probably be not worried, but he might think, well, Rafa could walk out, he could get a better offer and, and go. And I think there's a little bit of him as well saying, well, you know, I might sell the club. I think at the end of it, Mike Ashley is basically saying the money that the club makes, you go and sell. You go and spend something. You can spend that however you want. That's his message to the club. But for some reason, and we and I haven't got an answer for this, and I don't think Rafa has an answer for this, which is 
the most weird thing is why do the club when when it comes to spending over 12 million pounds anything under 12 million pounds gets waved through no problem you spend however much you want but every time they go over about 12 13 i think it's about 13 14 million every time that happens there is a tortuous process of are we sure does this work i'm not sure about this why are we doing this you know every single question has to be asked i don't have an answer for that and depressingly i don't think rafa has an answer for that and when people ask us as journalists why can't you put the questions to mike ashley it tells you everything that rafa benitez the manager can't get those answers either and and i mean think that's i think that is actually in my opinion this is just an opinion i think that is a, a deliberate policy by mike ashley because that's how he likes his companies to work have a bit of have a bit of mystique and a bit of on you know so that people don't just go and spend money willy-nilly because he wants them to think oh, mike's going to be mike's going to be kind of counting the pennies here we, we need to get this right and i think that's i think it's a deliberate policy to keep costs down um mike ashley might say that's not true lee charlie might say that's not true but i think that's what what happens but uh, the fact that he can't get the answer as to exactly what is the power structure, exactly why would you do it, is the, is the main reason, the main stumbling block at the moment. And then, like Chris said, until Rafa meets Mike Ashley and gets him to actually answer that question, I think we're going to have this sort of, you know, maybe this sort of slight impasse there and it's, it's frustrating. But it's like anything else, if, you, if, there's a, if there's a middle person between two people who are doing any sort of business deal or any, any conversation really, there's always it becomes like Chinese whispers, and then you don't get clarity. It takes longer for something to come there and back, and that's why these talks are dragging on. I think, for me personally, I think the inevitable consequence is that we'll have to speak directly to one another. Maybe it'll be sold before that, but but I would very much expect at this stage that he's going to need some direct reassurance from Mike Ashley because otherwise, I just think some of the decisions, some of the things he wants clarity on. The, I just don't think the people in Newcastle United can give them without Mike Ashley saying so. With the World Cup coming up, and obviously again, Rafa said in the press conference, there is no, there's no deadline. It's just conversation. We'll have another one next week. Uh, do you think he's he's thinking otherwise? Maybe off the record, behind the scenes, because the, the, the World Cup does bring a pressing issue, doesn't it? Because that's very soon the transfer window then closes, uh, no earlier this season as well. It's not a case that you can just sit around and, and, and hope these conversations turn out correctly. I think he is, and he isn't worried. I think he is in the sense that he would ideally like to be able to... He's got he's got plans for pre-season already formulated. He has plans for he'd like to bring already formulated. He want, he just, he's a sort of man who, now as soon as Newcastle will see if he wanted to be on to the next thing, and he hasn't been able to do that, and that for him is a serious frustration. But at the same time, if suddenly a deal was... A, if, if suddenly he got what he wanted... Even if it was in two weeks' time, as soon as that point reaches, I have no doubt that Benitez has already got lined up exactly who he's going to bring in and what he's going to. He's already got all those conversations so and he's already got the say so from. Or he's been speaking to agents of players. He knows the prices he's going to have to pay, or generally what the club are going to have to pay. So things will go into motion very, very quickly once it happens. He has all that laid out quickly. In an ideal world, you'd want it sorted already. But I'm not overly concerned yet. If it drags on for weeks and weeks then yes, but I'm not overly concerned because the World Cup year is difficult for transfers anyway and if there's one person who's going to be able to, to get things sorted when he needs to, I, th- I think it's Rafa Benitez. And I guess the frustration is then what that Rafa probably does. He's very you know, precise, he's, he, he's got you know, files on players and he will be prepared, but the players that he's 
possibly Tottenham will be within a budget that he's you know mm. assuming he's going to have at Newcastle. It won't be what he had at Liverpool. It won't be what yeah. he had obviously at Real Madrid. And yet we'll probably come back to this in a few weeks' time where we'll probably be sitting over the same question: it's budget, budget, budget. Whereas Rafa's probably planned mm. within a sensible budget. I would think that Rafa's got players for different different eventualities. I mean, he had he had a, he had a transfer wish list in January. I think that the supposed that there might be a takeover and there might be some some serious funds available to him. Um, but you know, I, I think one of the frustrations of last January was they felt like they put in a lot of work, and last last summer actually felt like they put in a lot of work that was ultimately wasted. They, they felt like you know, look, we put a lot of work in on Abraham on Caballero, and, and it didn't it didn't happen. Um, and and I think you know he's he's a man who's got a plan for every single eventuality. So I think budget wise, he'll be assuming that it won't be a million miles away from. It probably be about. I would think it will be sort of double what he had last summer, but that whether that's got wages and trans agent fees and things like that involved in it as well. So I think it's always difficult for every manager at this stage. It's not that won't just be Rafa who will, who will be you know seeking a bit of clarity on budgets because I don't think clubs really work that way anymore. They're almost like you know they they kind of go in and, and search, research a deal and then see if it's it's there. I don't think you'll have a budget of X Y Z. But he, he wants to know a general figure that he can go to teams with. Because I think last summer what happened was he was investigating a lot of deals that eventually you know they couldn't do because they didn't have the money. Like Lucas Perez, remember him for Arsenal? He was really keen on him, wanted him. He wanted he had Sandro Ramirez um, of uh, Malaga. Was he Malaga? Who ended up, I think it was Malaga. Yeah, who ended up at Everton. He had him lined up, basically. He had that deal agreed. And then Everton went in and offered um, you know huge money per week to him and it failed obviously not, not worked out for Everton but, but Newcastle wanted that deal done so I, I think he won't necessarily blame the club if you know if they get gazumped on things like wages and stuff like that because that, that happens and that's not necessarily Newcastle's problem but he, he just needs a bit I think he just needs clarity um, but you know Newcastle United as, as we said a few weeks ago they, they seem to be quite torturously slow on a lot of things I mean still haven't released their accounts yet um, which you know they the only club in the but in terms of the clarity point I think the perfect example of that was the Nikolai Jorgensen deal if, if Benitez goes to, to Newcastle United with the player and says look I want Nikolai Jorgensen Feyenoord are going to want the best part of £20 million for him if Newcastle turn around and say we're not going to spend that on him then that's clarity and he can move on to something else but they spent a week to start basically offering terms that were never going to be agreed and that was that was the whole part of a torturous process again, whereby if, if Benitez wants to be able to spend a certain amount of money, but at the same time he also wants the club to be honest with him, and rather than rather than let that drag on for a week and waste a week, whereby Newcastle are never going to get close to the break, just say, look, Rafa, we're not going to spend that on this player, and then he could have spent that week, right? We'll go to Plan B, we'll twelve million, fifteen million, whatever for a player instead, and in the end, Newcastle had to sign Slomani, who wasn't even on the list to begin with, and was injured. It's a, yeah, I think the, and the Jurgensen thing was interesting because um, you know they could have gone and done all of that at the start of the window if Mike Ashley had had, had intervened, but he was he was away, and I, you know I, I still can't quite work out how that works. That Mike Ashley went on record last summer in the Sky interview saying my I'm the passenger on the bus, my influence over the club is negligible, but then we actually had physical evidence in um, January that his him intervening 
unlocked things so that they could actually go and spend a bit of money. They send in front of a parliamentary commission that he's a lass to know about what goes on. It, it's, it, it's just bizarre. It's, it's utterly bizarre. And, you know, we just have to hope that Rafa is not too discouraged by what he's told and, and sort of starts to actively agitate to get away because that would be a disaster for, for the city and for the football club. Fingers crossed. It all works out. Two quick questions before we get on to Chelsea. Rafa Benitez to get what he wants this summer, Chris? All of what he wants. Within reason. He's going to be happy. I think he'll be content. I wouldn't necessarily say the term happy. I think that I, th- I expect Rafa Benitez to still be here at the start of next season. How much he gets agreed, I, I 100% have to say I don't, I don't know at this stage because I don't know Mike Ashley's thinking. And I think if anyone told you that they did, I think that they'd be stretching the truth because we, we, at this stage, it's a big what if. Mark? Wrap up the content. Um, it'll be a fudge, as it always is at Newcastle. I'm worried a little bit about what happens at Leicester because he's, you know, they've got a better squad, bigger budget. I'm slightly worried that there's going to be other opportunities for him this this summer because he's done such a good job. Okay, he's on big wages, but that, that worries me. So, um, will he be manager? I, I, I think he will be manager at the start of next season, but I'm less confident than maybe I was three or four weeks ago because I think he's he probably feels like he owes Mike Ashley nothing and you know he'll feel like my career I have to put my career before you know my loyalty to all these players and fans and and all of that because he can't hang around he, he won't want to do what he did this season which is schlep around for a long period of this season it's interesting you mentioned that because then we were having a discussion in the office last week and I said like, that was Benitez, I'd, I'd definitely be good if it was offered because if he doesn't get what he wants, he can go to a club which has made it clear wants to spend money, mm. wants to be a top six side. And yes, they've been a bit uh, go home with the managers of recent, but if they get the right manager and it fits, no I, I, the thing, the thing, and this is probably the almost the emotional side of me, and I suppose you get it in all football fans. The, pro- the, the problem I see with Leicester is that if Rafa goes there, he can never repeat what they did two years ago. At Newcastle United, I think that he has that emotional side of him. You think he think mm-hmm. he thinks I can be the one who can finally do this. Mm-hmm. I can be the one who can yeah, bring this trophy. And at Leicester, I just said, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Leicester will be an attractive proposition to a large extent, but they're always it's always going to be after the Lord's Mayor Shaw almost when you're at Leicester because you're never going to repeat that. Even Rafa Benitez, I'm sorry, he won't repeat that with Leicester unless he's really bankrolled. It isn't going to repeat that. It's not going to be the same sort of story. Mm-hmm. So. I think that is almost I, 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 the relationship he has there. I think there is a chance he could go and, and if Newcastle get complacent, there is a chance Benitez will walk because he doesn't want to do this again. He was adamant at several interviews I've had with him and several times sat down, and he keeps on mentioning the fact that he's had to go to places, particularly Anfield, which would really have hurt where he didn't know if his team was capable of winning. He says he doesn't mind going places and losing if he's got a team he's confident before the game could win. And he didn't know they were capable of winning. He, it was basically, if we only lose one two nil here, that protects the goal difference. Rafa Benitez isn't interested in that. He doesn't want to have to go back to Anfield. That was to him was demeaning. That emotional side of it is is key as well because you know we we've seen him this season do talk-ins and you know and, and the kind of the way that people are with him and, and he knows it's a football city Newcastle and I know it, it, you know a lot of managers are not not really keyed into that but he is and. I think he knows that if he goes to Leicester or somewhere like that, it's not quite the same. And he'll never nothing. He nothing. There's no other club 
that will that will offer him what he's got here, which is that real feeling of, you know, like it's almost like a worship, and it, it means that he, you know, he's been able to change the culture. He's been able to do a lot of management stuff that he he, w- he wouldn't be able to do even at Leicester because it's not it's not that Leicester's not a football city. It's a you know it, it, it's a big club in in its own right, but it's not it's not got the same pull that Newcastle has for Rafa, and I think that is. You know, but then again, he, I think he feels like that's really important, but he feels like, at some level, the hierarchy in Newcastle are playing on that with him. And I think he, that annoys him a little bit. That like, you know, He knows that the fans have got this emotional pull with him, and he, 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 he said that and all that. And I think he just feels like, Look, don't take the mickey out of me. I'm not like, you know, I'm, it's not that I'm, you know, I'm not that soft that I'm just going to accept anything that you throw at me. And as I said, I mean, you know, if he has to go and sign another Jocelyn, um, or a Makiyeri, he, he was honest, I think, about that he was signing players, just bodies, getting bodies in last summer. And uh, he just won't want to do that this summer because, you know, what's the point? He's not that kind of manager. He doesn't need to prove himself. I mean, if he was to go to Leicester and win the FA Cup, yes, it would be celebrated, but they won the Premier League two years ago. He, could, he wins the FA Cup, or he wins the League Cup in Newcastle, he wins the Europa League with Newcastle. That is legendary status even more than he has now. And I think that... For him, that is that is a big pull because he realises how important that would be to this city. As I said, Newcastle can't get complacent because he isn't just going to stay for the sake of staying. He has to be able to believe that he can do that and be delivered that. And he didn't believe that this year, which is why they didn't have a go at the Cubs. In a word, um, Mike Ashley will still be in charge come the uh, season's kickoff. Yes. Yes. There we have it. Um, briefly on the Chelsea, what is looking like maybe his last game there? So all in all, I mean, it's a winnable game for Newcastle, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strange one in, in a lot of senses, and the fact that obviously Benitez and Chelsea bizarre relationship there. He wasn't well liked, course, even though he yeah. delivered. By the fans, by the fans, yeah, I mean, love Bramvich very much loves them and would, I think, would love them back in an ideal world, but realizes that that politically that probably isn't isn't going to happen. Conte bizarre situation of everyone. As no one he's going to go, he even basically hinted at the other day when he said, um, "We'll find out in the next fortnight what's going to happen." He's just waiting for the club to sack him. I think he's quite happy for the club to sack him. So, I think I I don't know what to expect because Newcastle were brilliant on Wednesday night, but equally they were awful for forty-five minutes last Saturday against West Brom. They didn't really get going. I, I, I just tilting towards a Newcastle win because they tend to do well on the last day of the season. They've got a history of, of particularly at home against top six ty- sides having a good record. So I am tilting towards that. But equally, it wouldn't surprise me if Olivier Giroud scored as he always does against Newcastle and Chelsea won one 0 There's going to be that flag displays again, um, kind of celebrating the season, I guess. But you forgive the fans for having that bit of trepidation about what is to come afterwards, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I think that's. The frustration in Newcastle, isn't it, that it always seems to come tinged with a little bit of what might come next. And that's Mike. That's the Mike Ashley era, I think. Rather than looking forward to the summers, it tends to be that you're you're wondering where things are going to go. I mean, close seasons recently. We've had Joe Kinnear being appointed director of football. We've had Rafa last summer getting you know looked like it was going to be a summer to look forward to, and then Rafa it very quickly unravelled, didn't it? And um, I spent the entire summer worried about a book that I had out about Rafa and thinking he was going to have resigned by the time it came out. Um, so I was probably as nervous as any uh, any fan out there. But uh, but yeah, it, it tends to be that you can't really look forward to the summers because, you know, there's always some twist around the corner. 
The one thing I would say is, obviously we just said there that Mike Ashley would be in charge. We said consistently through the, through the months of the takeover that if it's going to get done, it's going to get done very quietly and very quickly. We've heard nothing. Amanda Stavely's people have said nothing, deliberately have said nothing. Um, so you never know, we could have good news this summer. I mean, I am not saying I've not heard anything to suggest that that's going to happen, but perhaps that's a good thing. No, no, no news, it's, it's good news, and of course, there are other good Newcastle United books as well that you can read. Shameful plug there, Mark. There are no good other Newcastle United books that you can read apart from Inside the Revolution, which is still relevant this summer. Available <laughs> at all good bookstores. Uh, prediction wise, then, guys? Um, 2 1 Newcastle. Why not? I think Newcastle will win 1 0, and um, yeah, I think that'll be a thing. And you can, of course, go and buy a load of the Newcastle United Pixels. Graham, well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, head over to chroniclelive.co.uk, keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news. Thank you.